Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Just two more sleeps or at least two more exhibition games. It is our latest edition of the VanCast podcast. Farhan Lalji along with Thomas Drance as we make our way through another couple of exhibition games since the Canucks have added Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. Jim Benning's had a chance to talk to the media since the last time we did this, Thomas. But a lot to get into is we've got two more exhibition games before the start of the regular season. We are down to brass tacks. The season approaches rapidly. I mean, a week today to play their first regular season game of the year. And at that point, 10 guys will have to have been cut. Like 10 of the healthy bodies still in camp. There's 33 guys still there will have to have been cut. The vast majority of them forwards probably far on. So, you know, there's some drama that will unfold here in the next few days. And it's going to be interesting to see who edges out who for those final few spots left on the Canucks roster. Well, before we dive into that, let's go back a couple of days because after we did this last pod, Jim Benning did get a chance to speak to the media following the heels of the signings of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. So any different takeaways from all of that? I know for me, you know, he talked about how players in their second contracts that, you know, expect to make more money, almost said that with a level of angst or disdain, but certainly still happy to have the two players in camp. Um you know, they, they wanted to get Pedersen done to a longer deal. Obviously, that didn't work out. But were there any additional takeaways from that as far as the two players are concerned before we get into topics like Hamannick and Sutter and Mott? I mean, not really. I thought the most interesting thing he said was that, you know, the next deal will look to sign him for eight years. Like, he was very explicit about that with Pedersen. And, you know, I do think there's a school of thought that, did not prioritize max term on either of these deals. I don't think that's a secret with how they left business to the end. Like this was, you know, getting, if you're going to go eight years with both guys, if you're going to prioritize team control and cost certainty and fixed costs, like fixed cap costs, then you get these deals done first. And that was not at any point, I don't think Vancouver's priority, like Vancouver wanted to get them done and they wanted to make sure that the cap hits were reasonable and that was the priority. Like, I don't think when, when they talk about not having gone long on Pedersen, I don't think we're ever, you know, I don't think eight or seven or whatever was ever sort of like the target landing point, even when there was a possibility that the deal would be a longer term deal. Like, I think it was five. Like, I think it was a, a five year deal or, or a six year deal. Um, same goes for Hughes, right? Like the... The length was not the priority. The priority was keeping the AAV low. And I think there's this 
sort of sense that second contracts have gotten bloated and that as a second contract goes along, like as a guy's RFA years go along, if you bridge them, they eventually bump into a reality, which is what the actual UFA market will bear. Uh, like what's the opportunity cost for a team of doing a three-year bridge at seven plus million, right? If, you know, the guy's valuation on the UFA market is going to be only nine million versus going and paying him 10.5 on an eight-year deal, right? And then like at what point is he actually at that value as a player based on what we actually see with market forces? Uh, you know, I think that's the argument anyway. Uh, personally, I value cost certainty a ton, especially with everything that the Canucks have to accomplish in the years ahead, how far this team has to travel to be really, really good, especially on the back end. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's how the team overall approached it. And I thought Jim Benning's comments were an interesting window into that worldview. What would the magic number have been to have gotten Pedersen to six? I mean, it would it have been nine million. And, you know, when you look at that and the actual gap of if it, if you think it would have been nine, you know, we're talking about one point six five million and a, a minor change in what they would have done in this offseason could have afforded them that flexibility. Well, I think there's no question you five times nine would have been market based on the Kaprizov comp and Kaprizov's deal sold two UFA years. A five year deal with Pedersen would have only been buying one. Plus, you know, no, I was talking about a six to get him to the same term as Pedersen. Right. Okay. So, yeah, probably nine, maybe a little bit higher. But yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. The marginal upgrade on that is not massive. Right. In fact, it's probably a smaller gap than the cost of not having certainty with Thatcher Demko. Right. It's a a far more volatile asset just just based on the nature of goaltending. Right. I mean, goaltender performance tends to vacillate an awful lot more than star center performance, even though Patterson does have, you know, some injury question marks going into the season, particularly regarding his wrist. So yeah, I mean, I see your point. And, and there's a reason that I've been critical of the bridge deal in particular, right? I, I tend to think that going long matters. Like I tend to think that you lock in deals long term and by the end of it, you're netting huge benefits for your club. Um, you know, and that's, I mean, that's what I saw unfold in Florida, right? Like this year and next season, right? Like this season, the Panthers will have Huberto, the best playmaking winger in the league and, and Sasha Barkov, a bona fide top 10 centerman, you know, combined at uh, less than, you know, $11.5 million combined. Like that's ridiculous. That's how you get Sam Reinhardt. Like that's how you make the moves that upgrade your supporting cast. And, you know, so I, I, but, but, you know, there were times during those deals where people were like, well, will they ever live up to it? This team's not doing anything, right? But it's like you take the risk and it pays off down the line. And for me, the Canucks have taken a short-term approach here. And if that short-term approach is going to stand up, then they have to get really good really fast. Yeah, I mean, because when you look at it, it really seems like it didn't have to be that complicated. I mean, you know, we talk about... Tyler Toffoli, I didn't mean to bring that up on this podcast, but, you know, it was a Jake Vertanen decision and a commitment on Louis Erickson and the minors, and you're pretty much there, right? Barring a replacement level signing. And it feels like this, right? Like you could have gone in a different direction, let's say, on a player like Travis Hamanick, who you played $3 million to. And if you go with somebody more replacement level at 1.5, you've now got the additional funds to potentially work out a three more years on a Pedersen deal. It did not have to be that complicated, did it? No, the, um, it, you know, it, it came I mean, down to timing it, and priority. It came down to timing, came down to priority, and it came down to what the club had already locked in, right? And, yeah. you know, by the time I think negotiations really began to heat up again in September, 
the club was kind of locked into only having the space to go long with one, and it always made more sense to go long with Hughes than Pedersen because of the need to keep the deals relatively equitable. And so you have it. These deals are done. Hughes and Pedersen expected to make their preseason debut on Thursday, and we'll see. The Canucks are going to need a lot from both players. Yeah, and you know we can sit here and talk about their deployment and how they're going to be used over the next two preseason games, but I really don't think it necessarily matters in that First line player, first pair D, and here we are. Yeah, well, for sure. At least in the short term, it doesn't matter. Uh, Where it matters is going to be fleshing out the rest of the lineup, right? And, you know, that's that's the challenge, especially on defense, where, like, boy, I'm getting concerned. (laughs) To be totally honest with you, Farhan, I'm getting concerned about this team's defense. Uh, I mean, I was concerned anyway, but I'm getting really concerned the more I see them all play together. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you look at this. So the one interesting comment for me came from Hughes, who said he actually hadn't talked to Travis Hamannick in the next month. And Jim Benning said, look, you know, we we still hope there's a possibility we can get him here before the start of the regular season, not necessarily to play in game one, but to at least be a factor and know what the future is going to be. He says he talks to Hamannick's agent every day. Uh, but, it, you know, it certainly could take longer. There's no timeline and no guesses on what that's going to look like. But what struck me is in this last preseason game, we talked about this before, the Myers OEL possibility as opposed to Pullman, who OEL has been running with for much of training camp in the preseason to this point, OEL and Myers, because obviously they're looking at that with the possibility of Pullman playing with Hughes. How did the OEL Myers pair look to you last night? Fine. Honestly, they looked fine. Like that, They were not the problem for the Canucks necessarily. You know, the concern for me is not OEL Myers. The concern for me is Tyler Myers playing 25 minutes. And I know it's preseason, but like, we're going to see that. And we're going to see a lot of it. And you just, you you know, I have more time for Tyler Myers than most of the analytics inclined analysts you'll read. Uh, As a player, I I like him as a person, but I just don't think you're going to win a lot of games if Tyler Myers is playing 25 minutes a night. Like that's, I just don't think you will. I, I do not believe that you will win a ton of games that way in the NHL. And, you know, so we'll see. I mean, it's just preseason. I just look through the true talent level of Pullman and Myers and OEL and Quinn Hughes defensively and Luke Shen and whether it's Jack Rathbone or Brad Hunt or Ole Levy. And I just think, boy, like that is a team that's going to spend a lot of time in their end. Like, how are they going to transition? How are they going to, you know, do the things you need a defense core to do to enable you to have success offensively, right? Like, eh, this team's going to have to punt and hunt a ton. And that puts a lot of demand on a group of forwards that aren't necessarily at their best in terms of the two way abilities of, as a group, right? Like this is enough. This is a high octane team. Uh, the, they're at, they're going to be at their best when the pucks in their hands as much as possible or the pucks on their stick as much as possible. And I just don't know that they have a defensive group that's going to facilitate that, which just creates problems and headaches everywhere else. So yeah, I mean, Look, we're going to see where this goes. I read a lot into Myers and OEL being paired together after Hughes signed, right? Like uh, Hughes-Pullman makes sense to me, makes a lot more sense than Hughes-Myers, which I think they'll be extremely reluctant to do unless they're trailing. And yeah, I mean, I think that's probably how it's set. And for me, that just ratchets up the leverage of finding a deal over Thanksgiving weekend or claiming a body before the season begins, especially a, you know a right-handed defenseman if the club can find one that they like at all. Punt and hunt. I love that analogy, uh, as you can imagine. <laughs> but, you know, you knew. It's a real, it's a real hockey term. Like, no, I know it is. I know it is. That's a real thing. But 
you would have assumed that Hughes was going to be here at some point. So if the long-term plan was that Pullman would play with him, given the Hamannick situation, why would they not have given OEL and Myers a bit of run earlier? Well, veteran guys, I mean, you know, I think there's a variety of reasons. You, you, they're all going to need to play with one another anyway, right? Like, we'll probably sure. see some Hughes-Shen. We'll probably see some Hughes-Myers, especially when they're trailing. So, you know, finding out and seeing if the guy that you drew up to be a good fit with Oliver ekman Larson looks good with Oliver ekman Larson. I mean, that makes sense to do. And you know what? It did look good, right? Like, it's just preseason. I'm not reading too much into it, but it did look good. Like, that pair has played well when they've played together. It does make sense in terms of, you know, the calibration in your mind's eye. Does it make sense in tough comp in regular season games with two points on the line? I mean, we'll see. But And I, I think we still will see at some point this season. But, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem with them looking at it before, you know, Hughes gets into camp and realizing that, hey, you know what, we're going to have to probably go – uh, with something maybe a little bit different. And we'll read a lot into how they line up, like not necessarily on Thursday because there's so much, there's so much still to work out. Like I think you've got to give Jonah Gadjevich another game. You've clearly got to give Justin Bailey, you, you know, one of the worst luck Canucks of the last year, as far as I'm concerned. Like I can't remember a guy whose path to the NHL has had this many hurdles thrown in its way. Um, you've got to give him a game. Like you've got to give him a game. So and then you're going to be introducing Pedersen and you're going to be introducing Hughes. I wonder if we see Bo Horvat's line, like Horvat, Hoaglander, Pearson. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they don't play Thursday. Um, we're recording this before practice, so this could be out of date when you're listening. Sorry. But, uh, but you know, I don't think we're going to see like the usual, basically the NHL lineup in the last two games of preseason. I think we're going to see it for one game instead on Saturday. I think Thursday is going to be another game where they give a few guys a look. There's just enough churn and uncertainty still on this roster. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what that looks like on Thursday. But my guess is that we will still see a very preseason looking lineup when the Canucks travel to Edmonton. Yeah, and I look at that and you bring up that point that that line, Horvat Pearson and Hoglander, and for me, I, I tend to agree that that's going to be a line. Like that's going to be your second line. So based on the fact that in the last game, obviously Pedersen didn't play, JT Miller didn't play, Brock Besser, we believe he's going to be ready for opening night, at least that's what the club tells us. Garland didn't play as well. So, always, you look you at always, what, Farhan, always believe a team when they say a guy has been ruled out for the preseason, but they don't sound too concerned about him coming back in the regular season. Like, the standard for unfit to play in the regular se- or in the preseason versus the regular season it's very, very different, right? Like, sure. I don't think if this was game 75 and the Canucks are in a playoff race, I, I have no doubt that Besser would be in the lineup, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I genuinely am not concerned and I don't get a big sense of concern regarding Besser's preparation, even though we won't see him play on Thursday or Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Drancer, based on the fact that we talked about those four forwards that did not play, Besser, who we believe is going to be ready, Pedersen, Miller, and Garland, and we've got the second line set aside, what does the next group looks like? Because based on the last 
few days, it certainly seems like Dickinson is back in the middle, probably played his best preseason game last night of the preseason. Not probably, definitely played his most noticeable preseason game in the middle. The club's going to use him there. Is he going to be 3C? Is he going to be 4C? And what does that tell us about JT Miller? Yeah, I have a theory right now, an operative theory that, you know, Right now, my here's my guess for what the Canucks are thinking. You know, I read a lot into JT Miller and Nick Patan and Alex Chason playing together on Sunday and then coming out of the lineup together on Tuesday. Maybe this is premature on my end, but every game that Dickinson has played in the regular or in the preseason so far, he's played on a line with Philip DiGiuseppe, right? So for me, Philip DiGiuseppe and Jason Dickinson is now basically, in my mind anyway, like probably a pair that we're going to see in a bottom six role of some kind. And a penalty kill pair too. And a penalty kill pair too. So that to me leaves like a fourth line right wing spot open for audition. If you're going Besser, Pearson, or sorry, Horvat, Pearson, and Hoaglander as sort of your tough minutes line, right? That sort of leaves like where does Garland play now we've seen Garland play uh, a lot with JT Miller and Vasily Claude Colson right and so that could be a third line maybe with you know um, with uh, the idea that sort of Patan is a hold like a placeholder for Garland and Chase on's a placeholder for Pod Colson but I wonder if it's actually just Patan Miller Chase on Like, what if that's a soft minutes third line, like a sheltered, offensively oriented third line, basically, basically like JT Miller so often is like Mr. Fix-It for the Canucks. Like, we need help here. You go do it. You know, you're the guy who can stabilize anything. What if that's the play where it's like, hey, we need you to drive a secondary scoring line that plays bottom six competition and basically solve our, our, you know, middle, our middle six depth issue for us, JT, like go do that. Which, you know, if, if I'm close, if I'm right at all, would leave us with like a Garland, Pedersen, Besser first line, which hasn't played together at all. Uh, Besser hasn't been available. Pedersen hasn't been available. I mean, no one's fault. But yeah, I mean, that's sort of what I'm wondering in my mind's eye. Like, is that where they're at with sort of the big battle being for, and you know, Di Giuseppe can play their wings. So the big battle being for that last fourth line winger spot with sort of Pod Colson, Highmore, Chase on Patan being like this chief guys in the mix for that last battle. That's that's sort of how I'm thinking about it right now. That's my like operating theory for how I see it based on what we've seen from lines through preseason and at practice. And we'll see if I'm close. Uh, I might not be, but uh, but that's certainly the way that it's shaping up in my view. See, I thir- I certainly think that Pod Colson elevated himself after his performance last night. He was very noticeable, you know, drove the net on that one play. But beyond that, it seemed like he was playing at a different level, a different pace than he had earlier in the preseason. And even the coach admitted as much afterwards, right? So I I think he may have put himself in a pretty good position. You yourself have talked about the the cap considerations of not having him on the team at the start of the season and bringing him back later in the year. Those are some challenges that are going to play into all of this. So getting... Pod Colson to play at the level he did, if he can back that up with another performance like that, at least one of these two final preseason games, I think he's on your team and maybe in your top nine. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was much cooler on the Pod Colson breakout game than everyone else, uh, to be totally honest with you, Farhan. 
I just didn't think there was a lot there. I, I, I mean, the, the fake shot move to the net was great. I loved that. But, you know, we're talking about a guy who threw two periods, wasn't on the ice for a single five-on-five Canucks shot on goal, right? Like, he was good, but there wasn't a ton there, right? There, there just wasn't. And that's okay. Like, I want to be very clear that that's okay. It's okay for a 20-year-old in their first NHL training camp, in fact, in their first English language training camp at any level, you know, is going to take some time to adjust. Like, I have no question about Pod Colson's value as a prospect or overall abilities or his athleticism, all of which are excellent, exceptional. He's going to be a very good player for this team. I just don't know that he's going to be a very good player in the lineup on day one. And that's okay. Like, it's okay. I think he's going to be impactful down the stretch. Like, I think he's going to be a useful player this season. I just don't know that he's won a job out of camp. And and I don't think it's necessarily the end of the world if he's, you know, not an everyday player, but stays with the NHL team and continues to acclimatize for the first stretch of the season. I mean, we saw the Canucks go to that approach with Adam Gaudet in 2019-20. I mean, he played half a season, but he was way over his head and not ready at all in that 18-19 campaign. And so, you know... I mean, that's sort of where I see this trending personally. I don't think Pod Colson, like, put himself on the map with his preseason game, even though, you know, Travis Green I didn't say it quite like that. <laughs> no, I know, but but the rest of the market is. <laughs> no, The fair rest enough. of the market is. Yeah, and, and the coach's and comments fed into that post-game. Totally. But I, and that's good. Like, he deserves some shine, right? Like, he deserves to not be criticized for not being – top nine ready as a 20 year old in his first English language training camp. Like I don't think he's been criticized at all. Drancer. No, I think no, we've talked about this before. Cool. We, like Louis, if he gives us a Louis Erickson effort, we're looking for the positive. Well, Louis Erickson, I mean, Louis Erickson's preseason MVP. <laughs> if he was giving a little Louis Erickson effort, this market would be a flame with hype. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm just saying like, it's going to take some time, you know, uh, I saw Jack Rathbone at training camp last year, and he wasn't close to ready. And then we saw him at the end of the last season, uh, of last season, and he looked great. Like he looked, he was the only reason to watch those games down the stretch. So you know, I mean, again, I just want to be clear: it's unfair to have the expectations that a lot of us had going in for Pod Colson in the first place. I think he's, you know, been dissected pretty rigorously in this market. That's what this market does. And so I think having a good game, responding to what the coaching staff wants to see, responding to, you know, upping his pace and on and on, you know, it it was important for Green to step in and be like, yes, he played well, right? Like, that's what we want. Um, I think that helps alleviate some of the pressure and the concern and creates a positive storyline in the market. And all of that matters. But for me, I just wasn't like, I just don't see a lot of there there yet. And that's okay. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of there there over the long haul. It's just about managing it because I don't know that he's going to be in the opening night lineup. And if he is, I suspect it'll be on a fourth line with maybe Dickinson and Di Giuseppe. No, that's fair. And understand, in fairness to the VIPs and the market expectations, the rare opportunity we get to talk to Jim Benning, he talked early on this offseason about Pod Colson being ready to step into the lineup and play. So I think that also helps fuel some of those expectations. He had his draft year two years out from that. That's usually a progression for a first-run pick pick that high to get into the lineup. So I think that's where a lot of it comes from. I don't think anybody's expecting to necessarily come in. Don't you dare blame the VIPs, Thomas Trance. 
No, I'm not blaming the fan base. I'm just saying this is like sort of how it goes. No, it does. But listen, the other player I wanted to talk to you about quickly, and I, I asked this just because of the JT Miller deployment and whether he's going to play in the middle or on the wing, Jason Dowling played in the last four preseason games, uh, led all Canuck forwards in ice time last night. I think he had 1935, plays in the power play, plays in penalty killing, and is playing in the middle. So is he auditioning for a fourth-line center spot that allows Dickinson to play the third line and allows JT Miller to then play on the wing in the top six? Well, the, the Dowling thing is interesting. I don't think we're going to see Miller play in the top six unless they find a right-handed centerman for the bottom six. That's that's my view of it. But, you know, Dowling made a good audition on this front yesterday, particularly by taking 13 draws and by outperforming both Bo Horvat and Jason Dickinson on specifically draws in the defensive zone. Like, that matters. That might give the Canucks the option to go something like DiGiuseppe, Dowling, and Pod Colson. Uh, as a fourth line, right? And then and then you could play Miller at center, and, or sorry, on wing with Pedersen, and then you can build a third line around Dickinson and Garland. And that's, you know, an interesting prospect, I'm sure, right? Maybe it's DiGiuseppe, Dickinson, Garland. Um, so, you know, I mean, there, there are certainly some options that will come about as a result of, you know, Dowling's good audition. I think Dowling's for sure going to be on the team. Like, I for sure think he'll be on the 23-man roster at this point. Because he is the most natural centerman of the, you know, depth contenders. But will he be in the opening night lineup? You know, I, I think that's still too TBD. And and I think partly it'll come down to how the Canucks want to approach their bottom six overall. Do you want a fourth line with Dowling in the middle? Or do you want a third line with JT Miller that's more offensively calibrated? Like, that's the decision that the club's going to have to make. Um, and those are their two best options as it stands, unless they claim a guy like unless a guy like O'Reilly Sheehan, who we saw play yesterday in, in uh, Vancouver with the Kraken, uh, hits waivers or something like that, that sort of changes that map. The other player I want to ask you about is Will Lockwood. Now, I've been kind of beating the drum for him for a while. I, and you talk about that final forward spot in the fourth line. 90% Corsi, 18 shot attempts, uh, four, two against. But look, I understand that he's also playing against you know, players that aren't necessarily at the top of anybody's lineup are guaranteed to make the team. Although I do think the Kraken in their final preseason game, that was very much the type of roster for them that we're going to see. Um, do you read much into his performance in a fourth line last night? Or do you just compare it to the competition and not really worry too much about it? Uh, honestly, I don't know. Uh, it's a tough one. I think the overall, the overall sense I've got fourth line wise is, you know, I mean, for me at this point, Farhan, there's the five guys, right, that have separated themselves. And it's, you know, Dowling, Highmore, Patan, Chason, Pod Colson. Like, that's the mix. And Di Giuseppe, for me, is now a lock. Like, Di Giuseppe, and, and you know what? This is also a part of the issue that, like, part of the things that I'm, are shaping up that I'm sort of uh, not, not nervous about, but sort of looking at with at least a bit of concern from a Canucks perspective is, you know, if D. Giuseppe is your 12th best forward, you're in a good spot, right? But if he's your ninth best forward, which is, I think, where we're at, <laughs> based yeah, on how training camps unfolded, that's not ideal. Like, that's not where you want to be. And so, you know, I'm curious to see how this exactly shakes out with those five contenders. Um, you know, and I'd, I'd give a shout, too, to the fact that I think Jonah Gajevich really does need an opportunity. Like, if he doesn't get an opportunity on Thursday, I think that'll be a, a big mistake. Like, that would be... Um, not something you want to see from a team, especially considering his age and considering the quality of players already being picked up by some of the rebuilding teams in the NHL off of waivers. 
Um, you know, I think it's a real risk to put him on waivers without seeing what he can do in a more realistic NHL environment than playing with Chase Waters or Matthew Highmore out of position at center. Uh, that's just that's just my take on it. I agree. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's a hot take. Like this is bleedingly obvious. It, sh- it should be anyway. Well, he did enough and in that earlier preseason appearance to show that he's worthy of another opportunity point, here. There's no question. Point per game. He's point per game in the, in the preseason. Like, he's point per game in the preseason. He was their, one of their best standout players at training camp to only get two preseason games, none with credible NHL line mates, and then be placed on waivers after, you know, changing your body up entirely and addressing your biggest concern to a point where maybe it's only just below average. Like, that's takes a ton of work. That That's a big revealer. Uh, of what sort of character and dedication you've got. Like, you got to reward a guy who does that, in my view. And if you don't, like, what are we even doing? So, yeah, we'll see where we'll see where that goes. But, yeah, my, my sense of it is that, you know, that's the mix for two or three jobs. And maybe, you know, and, and I don't know that, like, of those five guys, like, other than Dowling, who I think because of the versatility, Highmore I think they'll keep for sure. So really, it's really there. There might be even fewer. Like really, it's three guys for one gig potentially. Although I do sort of wonder if Patan and Chason might be seen as guys who can be top nine contributors for this team, and that and that changes it up too. When do you see them making a decision on Chason? Do they wait till the end of the preseason, or do, have they seen enough? You got to wait. You got to wait because you want to know. There's so much uncertainty still, especially around Travis Hamanick, that'll be complicated from a cap perspective. Like, where where is he accounted for, I think, is a big question that you have to sort of have some clarity on before you sign another contract. I still think you'd bring in a guy off of waivers, um, so long as his salary wasn't, like, really high, even, even with that Hamanick uncertainty, just because it could be high leverage. If the right center or the right right-handed defenseman hits the hits the wire, I think you still have to make that claim and figure it out. But for a guy like Chase on who you have some control over, I think you want to figure out exactly what the Hammonick situation looks like. And then, you know, as you start sequencing when which guys hit LTI when, like you can sign Chase on to exactly the right number you need to maximize your capture. Right? And then so that's how I sort of see that playing out with Chase on. But last the the last thing I would just want to note, Farhan, is that five five preseason games now in the books. Right, and it's preseason. I don't read a lot into preseason. I want to make. I want to note that. So, Pod has been reading into preseason, huh? I know, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> I, do. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get. Like, I want to read into the team's decisions in preseason more than I want to read into individual or team performance beyond you know the quick like is he ready check right like that matters to me. But like this veteran's looking great in preseason, like. You know, the best player in preseason hockey is Louis Erickson or Brendan Perlini. Like, give me a break. We have no idea. This doesn't matter. The one thing that I, I am sort of just looking at because it matches what your concern would be anyway with Mott and Brandon Sutter out of the lineup indefinitely. Uh, Canucks have allowed seven power uh, power play goals against in seven games or sorry, in five games. Uh, seven, seven kills on 24 opportunities. That's a 70.8% kill rate. Um, you know, that, that worries me, (laughs) like that worries me a fair bit going into this season because we saw what power plays did to the team start last year and the team's going to have to be, you know, able, especially considering how penalty prone some of their players have been, especially some of their players who might play tough minutes have been both in the preseason and historically, like they're going to have to be able to kill a lot better than that when the games start to matter. 
Um, so that's something I'll be looking for closely in these two remaining preseason games. Like, does this continue to be a problem? Um, because the penalty kill certainly did not look great against the Kraken on Tuesday night. You mean you're worried that Tyler Myers or JT Miller might take penalties again? Well, and, and I mean, Jason Dickinson's taken a lot of penalties during the preseason too, right? And and they're cracking down on cross-checking and we're going to see a lot of penalties early and the Canucks have an excellent power play and that could be a huge advantage for them. I mean, we haven't seen it work with Elias Pettersson in tow, but I mean, and Quinn Hughes, of course. So, you know, we'll see, but any advantage that the Canucks might have in terms of having like a lights out power play could be neutered pretty quick if they can't stay out of the box and can't kill off penalties themselves, right? So this is a huge part of the game. Like if you're a team that's going to win on a knife's edge, uh, you kind of need to win the special teams battle. We saw that from the Canucks in 2019-20. It's going to be a crucial aspect of this team's success and just based on the personnel, uh, based on the overall two-way ability and two-way intelligence on this roster up and down, you know, it's a concern for me. And it's a concern for me that I think has been laid bare by a real struggle to kill off power play opportunities so far in the preseason. Well, we're about to find out two preseason games away. The regular season is a week away. Drancer, it is October. I can't wait to get there. <laughs> because of October baseball, Farhan? <laughs> no, we, we promise this no is more. a short pod. We can't get into yeah. baseball. No more, no more baseball. Neither talk of on our teams cast. is on this, although we've got some pretty good social media traction, especially after that first <laughs> argument. <laughs> I think the fans are very upset about the baseball talk, so we'll leave it there. We will. Uh, but yeah, going, going to be an interesting Thanksgiving weekend. I won't be stunned by some moves. I won't be stunned by some waiver claims. And look, the Canucks have to have some certainty. Not, not certainty, but they at least have to make a decision. Because in some capacity, Hamannick will have to be accounted for um, once Tuesday of next week hits. Like once we get into, you know, regular season timeline, Hamannick will have to be accounted for in some capacity. And that should tip their hand a little bit as to what the future holds on that situation. Drancher storylines all week at the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendez and Haley, Haley Salvian take a closer look at the New York Rangers and Toronto Maple Leafs with Rick Carpinello and James Myrtle, Craig Custin, Sean Gentili. They focus on the Blackhawks and the Avalanche with Mark Lazarus and Peter Baugh. And Mendez and down goes Brown. Go deep on the Sabres and Islanders with John Vogel and Arthur Staple. That's this week on the Athletic Hockey Show. Listen to it wherever you download your podcast. Strancer, before we go, do you enjoy having fans in the building at Rogers Arena? I know we had them in Abbotsford, but how fun was it last night? Oh, the best. The best. I loved seeing the Vancouver fans back in the building. I loved hearing them boo the referees. Um, I loved the fans who had the Luke Shen is the goat sign and Shen mugged for them while they took <laughs> selfies of the uh, 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 selfies at the glass. Um, you know, I loved seeing Niels Hoaglander and Bo, uh, Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat has a routine where he shoots three pucks out, exactly three pucks, every warm-up skate at, at certain fans. And Bo Horvat's so superstitious, although he'd deny this, uh, that he did it in the same locations, even in an empty rink <laughs> last year. <laughs> but to see it, to see him do it in a way that actually uh, rewarded those who showed up and showed up early. I mean, it's a totally different experience. Loved every second of it. Loved the environment last night, even in a game that was kind of a drag from a Canucks perspective. Uh, the energy of the fans in the building. I mean, you, you can't recreate that. I missed it so, so much. And because I wasn't at the game on Sunday, it was my first experience with it. 
and boy, was it a welcome one. Yeah, I haven't been yet. I've been I've been off. I've been watching them closely, but I'm looking forward to getting back and listening to it again. And Jim Benning at his availability said, hey, they're still hoping by opening night they can get to 100% capacity. They're working with health officials on that. Might be optimistic, but they're still going for it. And for all fingers of you, crossed. Thanks, fingers crossed indeed. For everyone, thanks for listening to the VanCast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Subscribe to The Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts and get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are 50% off when you visit theathletic.com slash thevancast. Vancast returns early next week, possibly as early as Thanksgiving Monday if we can get you in before Drancher gets to his turkey. Uh, No question about that. We have to do it. We have to do it. Let's do it. That's a promise. Thanksgiving Monday, you will have your next episode of The Vancast. Thanks, everyone, for listening.